Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. edition of the Run to Daylight Variety Show. I'm your host, Todd Burrows. Thanks for joining us. Um, It's a little bit of a bear show this week in the sense that two of our regulars couldn't make it, Sal Lito and uh, LJ Cheney. So uh, I decided just not to fill the spots. It's been a long week, a lot of stuff going on personally, continuing So we are just going to get into it and do the segments that we have and uh, only have one live segment tonight. The rest are going to be tape delayed. So I will be able to go and watch the Yankee game and follow my NBA teams where one decision I made uh, is kind of kicking my tail a little bit, but uh, we're going to start off with the mauler. We're going to do our DFS segment and then we'll move on from there. So let me get the mauler in here. tonight oh good same as you watching the ball game uh, michigan struggling early uh houston yankee game is uh looking like it might be a classic game seven and uh we're here to talk a little dfs so it's a great night for sports yep yep great night for sports and uh hopefully the yankees you know i i can't it's hard for me to even watch playoff baseball it's so nerve-wracking and after not watching it for a lot of years but this is a very likable yankee team even if you're not a yankee fan i i don't know how you really get a lot of angst up for this team well i uh i'm rooting for the astros because verlander's over there and uh i like to root against tommy g because uh I'd like to see him go all prison mic on people again. Yeah, well, I uh, uh, I got no comment there. I, I <laughs> you know, I can't, I, def- um, as, a, as a fellow Yankee fan, I can't defend that. So 
Uh, nor can I defend wanting to see Tommy G upset. Um, it's pretty good theater. So, um, all right, let's get into the DFS segment, and we'll start off with the quarterback position. Well, I'm going to uh, go a little backwards this, this week, so I'm going to start with the bottom uh, where I like uh, Brett Hundley filling in for Aaron Rodgers. He's only 5,100 on draft. Speak to the mic a little bit more, Mueller. Yeah, uh, I like Brett Hundley um, filling in for Aaron Rodgers. He's only 5,100 on DraftKings. And uh, I just think, um, you know, he's going to be pretty high owned, uh, I'm, I'm guessing, for the price. But uh, I'll take a chance in what should be a high-scoring game against the Saints. My low-priced contrarian play is going to be, be uh, Blake Bortles um, against the Colts. Uh, game script said it says it should be, uh, you know, a Leonard Fournette-type game, who I absolutely love tomorrow. But uh, I think a nice contrarian play at 4,700 uh, at the quarterback position is, is Blake Bortles tomorrow. So um, I got Humley as my low-priced guy, Bortles as the um, contrarian guy, uh, mid-price guy that I like is Russell Wilson. He's 6,400. A uh, nice pivot off him for me has been Roethlisberger. And then every week that he plays, my top guy is uh, Tom Brady, 8,000 tomorrow. Yep. I uh, Playing on DraftKings, Brady's not part of the main slate, but uh, he's a really good choice. Uh, Hundley, you know, in the lower tier, it's, It's Tyrod. He's expected to have about the same ownership as Hundley. Uh, I like Hundley uh, as well as you, Mauler. On the top end, I, you know, there really isn't a super high end um, because Rogers is out and uh, Brady's not on the slate. Um, But I think Cam Newton's a nice contrarian play. I won't have a lot. And I, I, I'll have some uh, Drew Brees also and hope that that New Orleans-Green Bay game shoots out. Um, Dak, I guess, is mid-priced, and he's right now my number one owned quarterback. But um, I'm, I don't know. What do you think about Dak? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not a huge Dak fan, but, um, you know, he's always putting up, you know, a good floor. And when we're – we're looking, you know, to build our lineups. You always want to have that solid floor, so you can't go wrong in that aspect. Yeah, uh, I might take one or two more lineups and move them over to Newton, um, you know, just for the ownership difference. Uh, you know, Cam can put up a big game just as good as Dak. Um, I'll probably leave my Millie team with da- uh, Dak alone and maybe just move it on the play action. All right, so we'll, we're going to move on to the running back position. All right, well, you know, you, you love Le'Veon Bell every week. He's 9,100, but my favorite guy up top is Fournette, as I said. Uh, they're playing Indianapolis, but Fournette's just been a workhorse. Um, I mean, they're still getting Ivory, his touches, but, you know, Fournette isn't losing any touches, if you know what I mean. You know, it sounds kind of bass backwards, but um, Fournette's still getting all the touches he needs, and they're getting uh, Ivory, his uh, – few handoffs and some few passes out of the backfield. Um, Just be careful with the, Fournette. Just be careful with Fournette with the injury. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to have a ton of them, but, you know, as far as cash game, um, you know, if, if he's a full go, I think he's a, a safe play. I really like Devontae Freeman, and I know they're not on the main slate, 
but uh, there's so much juicy goodness to that rematch that, uh, you know, I felt like I had to mention him. I think LaShawn McCoy is a great value at 7,400. Um, Jarek McKinnon is, is second in the league in uh, yards per touch. He's 6,300. And, you know, it's not the same Baltimore defensive, defensive old. They actually just kind of stink this year, to be honest. So I don't mind playing McKinnon at uh, 6,300. And my low price and contrarian guy are the same. Um, and it's Darkwa from the Giants. He had a great week last week. They're facing Seattle this week, which I think brings his ownership way down. And he's only, uh, I, I want to say, 3,700. So um, I'm going to have a lot of Darkwa and uh, hope for the best out of him. Yeah. Uh, my main guy this week, last week my main guy was Ingram. Um, always looking for a guy that's not as high-owned. And I'm seeing him now a little bit higher than he was on Fantasy Labs at 9 to 12 percent give me a second i want to look at uh want to look at the roto grinders projected ownership on this guy ah helps if i go to football instead of nba (laughs) oh good old nba (laughs) uh hold on a sec where's the projected ownership with nba starts you know i i I swore i wasn't going to play this year and then of course I'm playing. So, yeah, it's funny because uh, Labs has this guy up to 9 to 12. Uh, Roto-Grinders has him only at 2%. And the UFC Collective, which is part of Daily Roto, um, has this guy. Let me get to it. I, I know I'm, I'm dragging it out, but we're, we're, we're short on a couple uh, segments today, so I can draw it out. Uh, I want to just give you a sense of the, the different low ownerships on this guy and then get your take on him. Yeah, they've got him at f- uh, under 5% too. The, the guy I'm really into this week is Christian McCaffrey. Chicago doesn't have the best linebackers. Kelvin Benjamin very well might be out. And McCaffrey's just getting a dog load of, uh, of targets every week. And I, I just can't see why he, no one is on this guy. And and maybe you can explain it to me, Mauler, but he scored 22 points the last game. Jonathan Stewart hasn't done anything. Philly is a, is a much tougher matchup than Chicago. Um, you know, I know he's $6,000, but I, I really like McCaffrey this week. So, I'll give my other running back picks, but I, I want to get your thoughts on them. Well, I mean, I think you look at me, 6,100. You've got a couple people right in that price range. DeMarco Murray against the Browns. People will probably be a little higher on him just because of the game script factor. Um, I mentioned McKinnon and, and his yards per touch, and he's also getting um, a huge amounts of targets. But, I mean, we talk – all the time during our shows about how important it is to have PPR running backs on DraftKings. And like you said, McCaffrey is getting an insane amount of targets um, out of the backfield. Well, they line him, line him up in the slot and everywhere, but he's getting an insane amount of targets. And it's hard to pass up, you know, that many targets because you get 11 targets, you catch half of them for 50 yards. You're at, you're at 10 points right there 
and that's without even rushing the ball, and that's without even scoring. So, and Benjamin's out, and and that, and, in other words, that you got to think they'd lean on him more. And I think a sneaky stack is Newton McCaffrey. Uh, my other running back choices up top: I'm on Ezekiel Elliott this week. I think he is the best of the high end guys. Um, I'm on Kamara in the mid tier. Uh, two weeks ago, he had 25 points. Ingram had 10. The, the, the following week, it was the opposite. And being on the road in Green Bay, better against the run than the pass. I think Kamara at 5,600, you get 1,200 hour savings on Ingram. I, I, I like him. And the low end guys are tough. But both Indianapolis running backs I'll, I'll be have sprinkled in. Marlon Mack is a game breaker. Uh, everyone knows that you can't pass on Jacksonville. They're going to need big plays. And Frank Gore as well. You can run on Jacksonville. You can't pass on them. So, if you know, when I dip low uh, this week, those are the two guys that I'm looking at at the running back position. Let's yeah, go to wide receiver. Well, another uh, guy that I like at running back before we move on, um, granted he went up 2400 in prices, Adrian Peterson. And I just think he has something to prove. Um, he looked really, really good last week. Arizona has a decent line. So I like AP again at 5800 But, you know, like we talked uh, a little bit ago, three, <laughs> 300 more gets you up to Christian McCaffrey. But there's a lot of guys down there um, in that price range that are nice to have tomorrow. Yep, yep. Yeah, I, uh, I, I I like McCaffrey because of the differentiation you're going to get. You know, if he's 5% owned and you got 50% of him, which is about what I got right now, um, yeah, it could kill me, but I, I want to win a GPP. So um, I, I, I think he is the, a guy that I'm pressing my leverage on. I don't have a ton of high ownership anywhere else. Uh, so on to wide receiver. Yep. Um, love Antonio Brown up top, 8,900. Uh, he's just steady Eddie uh, right behind him. AJ green. I'm also, uh, also really, really like him. Um, my, my best value favorite play of the day is Demarius Thomas. We know that uh, Emmanuel Sanders is out. So Demarius should get some extra targets. And I think he's a good price, 5,800. Um, I think Larry Fitzgerald is at the point where he's old, but you can play him every week. He just gets so many targets. He's 7,300. I don't mind him. Um, Adam Thielen, 6,700 with digs out is going to be a, a huge target for people again. Um, and then uh, my value plays uh, at wide receiver this week. Let me go check my notes here because it was, uh, uh, yeah, Benny Fowler. Uh, he's going to, get a lot of extra snaps, a lot of extra targets with Emmanuel Sanders out. Um, the Charger uh, secondary isn't great. And Benny Fowler is only 3,300. So if you want to put the big guys in and take a punt, I think Benny Fowler uh, is the way to go as the value kind of contrarian play at receiver. Yeah, uh, some good good stuff there, Mauler. Um, you know, Fowler is just dirt cheap. You would have to think that he's uh, he's interesting. 
Um, up top, I like both Brown and Green, although Michael Thomas right now is my highest owned wide receiver at 7,500. You get those savings, you mix them in with your Hundley lineups, you mix them in with your Breeze lineups. Um, I, I like him a lot. I like Doug Baldwin. I know he's going to be facing a lot of uh, DRC, but Baldwin's been hurt. And now he's got the week to get better. And the Giants aren't all that good. Uh, I like Demarius Thomas. I've got a good bit of him. But I am concerned about that. You know, he was limping around last week. So I hope that uh, he can make it through the game. In the mid-price, I really like the opposite guy on the Cardinals, John Brown. He's healthy. He's only 4,900. He's a game-breaker. Um So I I like John Brown. I also think Cole Beasley is an interesting play this week in your DAC lineups. Uh, Jakorski Tart is really good at keeping tight ends covered. And that means if there's not much action for Witten, they're going to need someone in the middle of the field. And that's Cole Beasley. Dez is 7,800. I don't want to play him. I don't love uh, Beasley, but I, I think he's an interesting play. In the lower end, um, I'm going to throw out one other name, and you mentioned the quarterback. I'm not playing the quarterback, although I thought about it, but you got to narrow somewhere. But I like Alan Hearns. Uh, he, he's got big plays in him. We've seen it in the past, and Lee is all banged up. So if they do need to pass the ball and Bortles is playing well, I think that uh, he's good. And, and Tyrell Williams, $4,000 is just too cheap for Tyrell Williams. Uh, Robert Woods is going to be very popular, and I know Tyrell hasn't been getting the number of snaps, but uh, Bradley Roby is most likely going to be on Tyrell. I, I wouldn't say he's a weak cornerback, but he's the weakest of the Denver cornerbacks, and Tyrell gets that matchup at 4000 uh, I think he's a decent play. On to the tight end. Well, um, starting with Gronk, uh, love him every week that he's healthy, which is about uh, 10 to 12 weeks a year. But um, I'm actually uh, more in love with Delaney Walker this week. He's been slow the last few weeks. Uh, and actually, just to start the year off, to be honest. But uh, Cleveland Browns are the all-time slump buster and uh, all-time slump buster for tight ends, for that matter. Uh, I think you and I could go out and catch a few balls from the tight end slot against the uh, Browns. So I love Delaney Walker at 5,800. I love Hunter Henry, 4,200. You started the Hunter Henry train a few weeks ago, and I've hopped on the last few weeks. And then my value play, uh, because Diggs is out, um, love Kyle Rudolph again this week. He had uh, several targets last week, almost got into the end zone. That uh, touchdown could have helped me out greatly, but uh, still had a good week. So he's my value play uh, at tight end. Yep. I'm going to start up top with Jimmy Graham. He has not looked good. He's 4,900, but he's playing the Giants. And, you know, tight ends against the Giants in Cleveland, Al Al Smizzle's flow chart. Um, you know, Jimmy Graham, lock him in. Uh, Evan Engram, again, Seattle, if you're going to beat Seattle, it is with a tight end. 
historically and who else are the you know Shepard's supposed to be back but I, I I have a good bit of Evan Ingram and I'm playing a lot of two tight end lineups this week uh, my favorite probably is George Kittle Kittle is and I got some Henry and I got a little bit of Rudolph uh, but uh, George Kittle went to college with CJ Beathard and now Beathard has got a whole week to prepare. Typically, you do see quarterbacks, rookies, fall in love with their tight end and the safety of dropping the ball off to them. I think George Kittle at 3,600 is a fantastic play. And then I like Nick O'Leary. O'Leary replaced Charles Clay, who's out, who was Tyrod Taylor's favorite target. And when you look at what O'Leary did coming in mid game last time, he put up 10.8 fantasy points and uh, Tyrod looked for him. So he got six targets in less than a full game, five catches. I think that he is another really good play. Tyler Croft is also worth mentioning. And you, you, you spoke about Delaney Walker. If he is healthy, I would be playing him a lot more, but there's a good chance he doesn't play. And if he doesn't, and maybe even if he does, Janu Smith is a very talented young tight end, 2,600 tight ends against Cleveland, as mentioned, is a real thing. I will definitely be keeping an eye on the Delaney Walker situation tomorrow and if he is out, a lot of these other names, uh, I'm going to be raising my Janu Smith uh, significantly if Delaney Walker is out. Absolutely. All right, let's move over to the defense. All right, so I'm starting uh, right at the top. I'm looking at the Jags against Indy, and I'm looking at uh, the Carolina defense. Um, if you're looking to save a little bit, I like the Dolphins. And then down low, uh, I'm juggling back and forth with the Rams-Arizona game. I think I like the Arizona defense a little more than the Rams defense. Um, but, I mean, it's it's a coin flip because Carson Palmer, you know, we, we've discussed before, he can throw a pick-six at any time. Um, but I think Arizona has more potential in the return game. So if you're looking to save a lot of money down there in the mid 2000 range, look at those guys. But I'm probably paying up for defense tomorrow um, and looking at the Panthers, Jags, and, you know, maybe the Dolphins against the Jets. For me, it it comes – there's two defenses that I love and a few that I like. Uh, Number one defense that I love this week is the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Great defense at home. Joe Flacco's been awful. Uh, big turnover machine. I, I, I like the Vikings defense. They're 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 kind of chalky, but I like them. And I like the Jags. You know, the Jags are the number one defense in fantasy so far. They're they're expensive at thirty seven hundred, but they're not supposed to have a ton of ownership this week. Uh, that's my second favorite. I also like Seattle against the Giants. Yeah, Four thousands a lot, but paying up to be contrarian. Having a little bit of Seattle, Eli, we all know, is a turnover machine. 
Um, I just have a hard time believing they're going to be able to run the ball two weeks in a row after not being able to run the ball for three years. Um, and if they have to pass, it could get ugly. A couple other defenses of note, I think that uh, Tennessee against Kaiser, who's been a turnover machine, uh, the Rams against Carson Palmer. He looked great last week, but he plays a lot better at home. And, th- and there's nothing further away from home than London. Uh, and on the <laughs> low end, I don't love them, but the Chargers and the Bears are my choices. Any uh, final thoughts, Mahler? Well, you know, uh, every few weeks we'll just throw out a name or, or a defense out there that's just off the wall that uh, we think might have a big week. So I'm going to throw a name off the wall that might not have a a super big week, but is going to be very low owned. Um, And when, when does Washington and Philadelphia play? Is that the Monday Monday night? night. So we we talked about the Brady, um, the Gronks and the Freemans, all those people we like for the primetime game. Um, I like Robert Kelly as a sneaky play. If you're doing the primetime slate, they said he's going to come back this week and um, get his carry. So, uh, you know, let's see if Fat Rob can do something and I can pull a rabbit out of my hat. Awesome. Mauler, great work as always. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, good luck tonight in NBA. Good luck tomorrow in NFL, and uh, we'll see you next Saturday. You got it. All right, everyone, that was the Mauler, and uh, we're going to go into uh, the doctor's segment next, and uh, we'll get uh, some information on some of the key injuries. I need you. Please welcome to the show once again, Dr. Jeffrey Budoff. Doc, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for having me. Oh, um, we got to start where I guess we start most weeks, it seems, because there always seems to be some new news. But let's talk about the recent news on Andrew Luck and his shoulder. Well, as you know, he had a setback. Uh He was throwing, trying to work back into shape. He got sore. He required a steroid injection. Now, they never said exactly what the problem was, but, you know, that's not good. Best case is, you know, he threw with it unstable for a couple of years. He might have just some chronic inflammation there, and it stirred up again. They need to calm him down. Best case you know, take a week or probably two weeks to just rest it and then rehab it, and they start from scratch again with the throwing program to slowly but get them back into shape. Let, let me jump in, Doc, for a sec, because you you mentioned that, you know, we didn't hear much, and that's one of the things that's pretty consistent in this one, that the Colts just aren't communicating and there's a lot of people out there who are pretty upset because, 
you know, even right up to the beginning of the season, they were they weren't telling us that they were they didn't rule him out for week one until the last minute. And you know, my history as a fan is when there's this much disinformation, it's hard for me to just count this as a little bit of a, of a, a shoulder soreness. Um, I wonder if there's something more going on. Oh yeah. I think that, you know, I keep on saying the best case scenario is there's, you know, nothing anatomic, but I think there is an anatomic issue probably. I don't know for sure, but he could have a chondral lesion sort of like Sam Bradford has in his knee where they're trying to calm down Bradford's knee and it's not doing so great. Andrew Luck for having thrown on an unstable for two years could well have cartilage damage and he just flared it up a lot like Sam Bradford's knee. Also, he had it you know, the stabilization in the back of the shoulder. And I think we talked about it last week. Uh, they, you know, it could be over-tightened and they can't stretch it out or there might be some subtle anterior, meaning in the front instability that throwers often get. That wasn't enough to fix, but now with it a little bit tight in the back, it's being pushed forward. And so now that's become symptomatic, which will shut down a thrower because you can't bring it back into the full cocking position to get velocity on it. So, you know, best case is they got to start from scratch, but going slower, wherever it was, you know, what I said, two to three weeks to get ready. Now it's going to be at least three to four, probably four weeks after the two-week rest. I don't think you see him back five, six weeks at the best case scenario. You know, you're talking late in the year. And there may be an anatomic issue. It's possible he's never quite the same again. It, it is possible, and it's also possible that they have to go back in and clean up. And and that's kind of what I was alluding to. There is when 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 guys have this much problems, it it you know a lot of times the you know every every surgery is successful, right? I, I'm sure you've never done an unsuccessful surgery. No doctor has, right? Right after the surgery, the surgery went well. Like as long as the patient is alive, the surgery went well. Uh, but you know, obviously, this surgery didn't go well. Well, it might, it might not be the surgery that went poorly. You know, if he has cartilage damage from throwing on it for two years while it was unstable, that the surgeon can't, you know, do anything about that. Come back in 30 years, we'll have the answer for that. But in 2017, that remains an unsolved problem. So that's not that the surgery went poorly. That means he just has an anatomic issue. Also, the back of the cap, the back of the shoulder, that capsule, the balloon around the joint, like when you rip apart two chicken bones, what you're ripping is the capsule. In the back, in, in you and me, that's pretty thin. It's like tissue paper. And then you stretch it out. It's even thinner. So when you fix that, you got to take it slow. And, you know, it can scar down a little bit too much. And then it gets tough to stretch out. And then, again, if you have some problem in the front of the shoulder, it gets the head of the humerus gets kicked forward on the socket. And then that becomes a problem. So it may not be an issue with the surgery. And I don't think he's going to undergo surgery again. I'd be surprised if he did. But it's just that it's so tight in the back, they can't stretch it out. Or now it's sitting a little bit too much towards the front when he cocks his arm back. Or there's a cartilage lesion. One of those issues may well be in play. And that, that's going to be a problem. But it's not like the surgery went poorly. It's that we, there, it's, it's, you there live on the right edge on. with this. 
there was more going yeah, on. Yeah, more going on or the rehab is really tough because you can't, if you stretch it out, then the surgery, you know, is a failure. So you got to let it tight in and try to stretch it out, but it's easier said than done sometimes. Yeah, especially if you got the cartilage damage. Moving on to our next quarterback with an arm, an arm type area injury, because uh, the collarbone is, you know, right there. Um, we lost Aaron Rodgers possibly for the year, although some people still want to hold out hope he might be back for the playoffs if Green Bay makes it that far. Um, you know, there's a pretty, you know, set in stone timeline for this injury, correct? Well, he just had surgery a couple of days ago. So there was time in between. If it was a bad fracture and displaced, you know, the soft tissue over the clavicle is very thin. So that, you don't want to let a sharp piece of bone stick in there. So he'd be going to surgery the next day. The fact he did it and they waited a few days, and really when I saw him fall on it, he kind of rolled, dissipating the force. I really think it's probably a non-displaced crack. I haven't seen his x-rays. I don't know that, but if I had to go to Vegas and put my money down, I'd say it's probably non-displaced. I think in six weeks he can start throwing, give him another couple weeks to get up to speed. I would not be surprised if he played in eight weeks. I think that's well within, you know, what could happen. Yeah, and and that would give him a a chance to play a week or two before the playoffs. And uh, I think that people are underestimating Hundley. Uh, It's very, you know, they're not going to run the same offense with Hundley that they ran with Rodgers, but last week Hundley came in, and that was the game plan. And, you know, so he didn't look good, and now everyone wants to be down on Hundley. I'm not ready to... uh, to cross Hundley off my list. I I spent almost all my remaining bid bucks in, um, in Scott Fishbowl to get him. Well, I mean, they threw him in the middle of a game without a whole week of prep against the Minnesota defense on the road, I think. I mean, that's a pretty tough place to play. Yeah, I agree completely. The next quarterback on our list is Teddy Bridgewater. Um I mean, that was a really ugly knee injury. And this seems to be the opposite situation where you really haven't heard anything negative despite how serious his knee injury is. He he really hasn't had any reports of problems since the surgery. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty good timeline here, correct? Yeah, he dislocated it last August, so it's been 14 months. Uh, he was cleared to practice and play, and now he's got to get up to speed. Um, they're going to have three weeks to decide if he goes onto the active roster or not. You know, he'll never be as mobile. I mean, he's not going to have the speed. He's not going to be, you know, scrambling as effectively. But I think he could play later this year. Um, and, you know, you just got to follow the practice reports. They're going to take it slow and see how he does. And, you can follow along with me, but, I mean, he should still get back. Yep, I, I, I think so. And, you know, one of the things we talked about a lot last week is the trends, right? And medicine is no different than anything else. People are either trending well or they're not trending well. And you often hear these little negative reports when there's problems. And when you don't hear anything, 
Um, it normally means that all systems are go. You never know. I mean, Sam Bradford came back from one ACL and tore it again, you know, right away. Uh, so there's no guarantees. But if you're a, a Viking fan, things are at least trending the right way. Um, next guy on our list is someone whose injury looked eerily familiar to me. Um, it looked like Odell Beckham's injury when it happened to me with Emmanuel Sanders, but luckily he did not break the ankle. But I don't know how quickly we're going to see Sanders back. What What are your thoughts? Well, his x-rays were negative. The diagnosis that was reported was a sprained ankle. He's said to be week to week. You know, they ruled him out for this week seven real early in the week. So that, that means it's a significant ankle sprain. I mean, when somebody's ruled out that early in the week, He's going to miss, you know, at over one weeks, week. Right? So, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, for an ankle sprain, it's one to three weeks. It's not going to be one for him. I'd say three to four weeks, yeah. So yeah. he'll miss a few games. I think he'll miss two to three games, and then he should be okay. Yep, and the, the last guy on our list today, Doc, is Golden Tate. Well, but his MRI showed a sprained AC joint. That's normally a two- to four-week injury. You know, you want to let it heal. Randall Cobb got one. Uh, I think it was the year Jordy went down, and Randall Cobb was supposed to be the uh, wide receiver one for Green Bay, and he fought it his whole year just coming back too early. You just don't want that to happen. So it's two to four weeks. They're on bye right now. So... He might miss a game. He's going to miss another game, I would think, and then it might be a total of two games. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see how bad a sprain it is. But he'll get back, and I think if they let it rest, you know, missing this weekend with the bye, then another game or two, if they let it heal and shoot him up, I think he'll be fine. Gotcha. All right, that's going to do it for this week, Doc. A lot of great information as always, and we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thanks so much. All right. Another great week from the doc. And we move on to the numbers game. Please welcome to the show, Matt Wispy. You can find him on Twitter as always. At Wispy the Kid. Matt, how are you today? I'm good, Todd. How are you? Uh, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I think I that's the like... best thing that that can be said about me this week. I'm here. Um, I'm, I'm woefully behind on a lot of things. So I know you've got some real stud whose article we're going to be going over today this week. Am I correct? Yeah, it's probably the uh, smartest author that I've actually highlighted thus far. Uh, what's his name? Oh, it's uh, Todd Burroughs. I don't oh, know if not that him. asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so basically this week we're going to be going over my weekly article um, on, on Rotoviz. It's the best ball leaderboard. And basically, um, yeah, so uh, I, I'm going to turn over the mic to you, and you will interview me. Oh, well, so, so Todd, I – 
I know that you and uh, Dave, as you when you started this process at the beginning of the year, Dave Cabin. For those who haven't been uh, reading this, Cabin or Cabin? I have absolutely no idea, but I'm going to go with Cabin because that was my first guess. Because you like the movie Cabin Boy. Of course. Excellent. So, can you actually explain to me the uh, metric that you and Dave came up with to um, put or quantify the um, results of each player? Yeah, so basically it's based on where you finish each week. So we, we, we kind of put you into silos. And based on the silo you end up in, you get X amount of points. And what we wanted to do, anyone can look at a, a regular, you know, how many fantasy points you get overall and say, you know, that guy's uh, in first place, that guy's in second place. But Dave and I kind of became obsessed with the concept, and it started with Dave, to be honest, and I was brought in to write the article. But it's something that I'm really into also, which is how many usable weeks do you get out of each player? So if you don't finish in, say, the top 24 running backs, you don't get any points that week because basically – you know, in in a 12-team best ball league, there's only 24 running backs who essentially score each week without the flex. So um, that's kind of the the basis behind it. So I like a, I like that idea. I think it presents uh, an interesting model of not only are you trying to find players that are helping people win, but it's how consistent are they on your weekly best lineup so i think that works out pretty well um i did notice this week you guys added an additional column to the uh to your spreadsheet you added the win percentages um yeah and that's something that i get from uh broadway g he has a free um really great website you can track your best ball results you can track uh also this which is the winning percentage that each player is on. So in other words, if there's, you know, 7,000 best ball leagues, what percentage is Kareem Hunt uh, of the of the 7,000 teams in first place, what percentage is Kareem Hunt on? The answer being 29% and he's the the highest owned so far. Um Mike Beers, uh Beerswater on Twitter has been posting articles on the best winning percentage for a couple years on Rotoviz and this is an extension of that. So basically before that, what we'd been doing is kind of using my heat map of how often people hit different uh, point uh, totals, 10, 15, 20, 25. Um, but then what we decided was there's just too many columns. So percentage of wins really gives you another look. Since we're not quantifying the top end as much, because let's face it, like week one when Kareem Hunt scored, you know, all those points, he got his, the same amount of points in our leaderboard as the guy who came in second and third place. Because um, that, you know, it's it's it, so the winning percentage is something I've been using a lot in the articles, and so we just decided to add it to give kind of the upside as well as the points in the leaderboard. And I think that goes a long way, actually. I think when you're looking for 
um, players that are helping people win and you're trying to find the best roster construction options for moving forward, I think that actually comes into play a lot is you want to see where players are um, being drafted that are actually helping elevate teams to the um, to the winning level. And Correct. I know that's something that uh, I think Beers and uh, Fantasy Douche used to uh, pull together a lot of was they always tried to figure out which was the best way to make these roster constructions, and the way they did that was actually pull together these win percentages. So I do think that's a nice addition and is a little more actionable on a like well, the I, next year basis. I don't know that it's actionable, but see, the leaderboard is tracking consistency and mm-hmm. upside. Uh, but it doesn't really give you the ability to see the stratosphere, guys, right? Correct. Um, so, you know, because consistency is very important because you need to start, you know, you've only got 20 roster spots and you need to start so many people each week. So if a guy gives you a four, that's not really helping your best ball team at all that week. No. If he gives you an eight and he's the 23rd, well, you get a point for that if if he's a running back. So, but so basically, we're giving you two ways to look at this. Where in the past we typically only got the the high end look at it. Now we've added a level of consistency as a value as well. All right. Well, that I mean, I think that's definitely helpful for anyone who plans to do best balls every year. Um, so I kind of like the people you highlighted on your quarterback list in this article. Uh, the first one you highlighted was actually Carson Wentz has surpassed Alex Smith on your leaderboard. Um, and they're both actually high win percentage guys too. It looks like uh, Wentz is at 13% owned and Alex Smith is at 14% on winning rosters. Um, do you think that both of those are going to remain kind of consistently towards the top? Or do you think that, are you the, among the believers that either one of them are going to kind of fall off? Well, if you had asked me that question a couple weeks ago, I would say that regression was likely. But I think, you know, we're seeing a new Alex Smith this year. And if you watched the game last night, I mean, he's still throwing the ball deep. He has, and, and it's just a really well-drawn-out offense. So I'm, I'm, I'm now thinking that there's a very good chance that both of them um, are near the top at the end of the year. It's certainly possible. Uh, Cart, you know, and that's, you mentioned that Wentz passed Smith on the leaderboard, but Smith is on 14% of teams versus Wentz 13. Two things go into that winning percentage. Uh, one is where you're drafted. So the fact that Wentz was drafted a couple rounds earlier explains why Smith is on slightly more uh, of a higher percentage of the winning teams. The other thing that can happen, though, and we'll find that later when we get to Antonio Brown, is he's on uh, an inordinate amount of winning teams, even though he was a first-round pick and he's not even the number one wide receiver but it's because there were so many busts in that first round so far. It's making, you know, if you took Antonio Brown in the first round and Odell Beckham's hurt or uh, LaShawn McCoy hasn't scored a touchdown, 
Um, maybe Amari Cooper is in the late first round in some drafts. Um, so the, the, it, it, it's both. The, the winning percentage has a lot to do with when you were drafted and also who was drafted around you. And, I mean, for Alex Smith specifically, we kind of forget now that during draft season, there was a lot of question marks around whether or not he even finished out the year. I know draft Twitter and uh, fantasy Twitter definitely was salivating for the eventual uh, takeover of Pat Mahomes. So by the end of draft season, he was like – I think he was like quarterback – like I think he was – lower than like 25 which looking back on it seems a little absurd well i mean he didn't he he tends not to finish that much above there and in the past he doesn't give you the high end right he's consistent he'll give you 10 12 points every week he's not a bad backup um but you know what's interesting is I mentioned that last week in the article about Mahomes when when because last week uh Alex Smith was actually the cover boy on the article. Um, so, yeah. And the next guy is even more amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, if you were around Rotoviz, we didn't actually peg this guy for success. Um, but Deshaun Watson, and he wasn't the day one starter. He's on an offense that is 29th in the league in pass run percentage. And. I mean, there were a, a lot of analytics guys didn't think he was a great prospect. Uh, he was labeled as the biggest fraud this past week by Rotoviz writers during the roundtable. We think that he he's probably going to regress pretty substantially, but if you got him super late, uh, you're celebrating at this point, aren't you? Well, the one thing that numbers can't always you know, numbers will get, will lead you right more often than they don't. But every once in a while, you find someone who's an outlier, who just has some intangible that allows him to overcome his limitations. And so far, that is what Deshaun Watson is. Um, yeah, he'd only, you know, he, he barely throws the ball hard enough to break a pane of glass, but he gets it there. And he's he's able to move around in the pocket and run sometimes or, you know, and no no cornerback is good enough to uh, cover someone indefinitely. And when I'm watching Watson, what I'm seeing is a guy who's got just a really great innate ability to avoid the rush subtly, even when he's not running. And that opens up, you know, after five, six seconds, all of a sudden – these guys are open, and he's got good receivers, so I don't think he's a fluke. Well, and, the one – go ahead. Uh, and I'll jump in real quick. Sorry. The one thing that was of notice, he was, in most of our model setups, he was a guy that we loved up until that ball velocity um, stat came out. And the thing of note that Kevin Cole um, – pointed out on Twitter this past week was that that stats kind of inconsistent and that we don't necessarily have a great grasp on how that actually does play into um, quarterback success. So, I I mean, I'm slowly becoming a believer every day, even if it is going to maybe be some garbage time. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I I think that um, 
you know, there's just certain guys, like I said, who, you know, we, we, we say the old saying, they're just football players, right? They're not the biggest, they're not the strongest, but they're just football players. You know, it, it, numbers, again, they're great. They're very important. But I think if you trust only in numbers, you can miss out on certain rare uh, situations like this one. Uh, I agree. Um, and I had Tom Brady listed here as on fourth uh, that you highlighted him in here too, but I think we kind of have a decent idea of how he's going to be. So let's jump down to running back and uh, let's talk to the guy about the guy that's on the uh, the most winning NFL ten rosters, um, Kareem Hunt. And I know Scott Barrett was all about him ahead of time and was starting to build up his value before the Spencer Ware injury, but even post the injury, he's seeming like if you picked him anywhere outside of the first round, seems like you just got a gem. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, you know, when I watch him, he's got a little bit of pinball in him. You know how a pinball bounces just a little? P- people run into him and he kind of bounces off them like a pinball. And then yep. he starts up again. He he he's he just doesn't go down on first contact that often. He's n- he's not that big. He's not that small. He's pretty fast, but he just has this ability to to engage a def- uh, a defender, bounce off him just a little bit, and keep going. And um, he only scored 15 points last night, which you mentioned was his floor. But those big plays are going to start coming again, and uh, you know I'm thankful that I have a pretty good amount of uh, Kareem Hunt in my leagues. Oh, I I think everyone who has him is is happy about it. Uh, Leonard Fournette, the other big name rookie this year, uh, his snaps are. I mean, I, if I am a little bit concerned about him, it is that his snaps are a little bit low for the high-end running back. He's only on the field for about 58% of snaps. And uh, I know in this past week's Stealing Signals article, Ben Gretsch pointed out that he's kind of been saved by some of these big runs. He's been slightly inefficient outside of the explosiveness. But, I mean, if you're looking at it from the so far the season-long perspective, he has a touchdown in every game. And if you want a guy that is going to be weakly usable in your lineup, he has a touchdown in every single game. Uh, I have no reason to doubt at this point that he's going to keep it up. He just may start to see some of that snap percentage. You hope it goes up a little bit. If not, his floor, uh, his weekly floor may come down a little bit because it's hard to assume that he's going to score 16 touchdowns this year in 16 games. Or, I mean, even more than that, but that he's going to have a touchdown in every single game seems like it's tough to believe. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, uh, now we'll take the other side with numbers, where where numbers tend to either be sticky or not sticky. Uh, touchdowns are notoriously not sticky, and um, especially on an offense that isn't overall that good, uh, it, it, it's you can easily make a case for a regression with 58% of snaps and. Uh, counting not only on touchdowns, but long touchdown runs. Um, When you think of 58%, the back that he is slightly behind, because I looked this stat up for the article, is Javorius Allen, 
who <laughs> fantasy owners are pulling their hair out over because you can't figure out, you know, what his workload's going to be every week. So that gives you just an idea of where Fournette's snap count is and how, as good as he has played, it, it could regress some from here. Agreed. I, I think if you have him on your rosters at this point, you're st- you're pretty happy with him. Um, but there might be some, there should be at least some level of concern that maybe the production you've been getting out of him might might dip as the efficiency drops towards the end of the year. Just expecting if he's going to keep getting the um, workload he is getting, you sort of have to expect he's going to slow down during his first season in the NFL. Yeah. Um, you know, the only place that I really have Fournette is uh, the SFB, and I'm currently in like 96th overall place and first place in my division. Um, I got him in the third round, though. It was uh, he really fell in that in my, in my division. So uh, I think I, I remember it, you and I talk about him during your draft. Yeah, that's right. So I um, yeah, he's a, he's really good in that format. So. Um, Let's move on to our next guy at running back. And I I think I actually, it it seems a little early, but I'm taking an L on this player. I told everyone not to draft Melvin Gordon this year, and I'm I'm hurting (laughs) on that one. I'm not not winning that one so far. He is on 12% of winning rosters. He is, I believe, fourth on your your leaderboard right now um, for scoring. And I think the most impressive thing about him right now has been his target share. It's, I mean, it's that of a good wide receiver. And this was a player who, coming into the NFL, the criticism was that he wasn't a, wasn't a pass-catching back, that he was kind of a, a two-down back. And I, I don't even think I can say it more. I, I was fully wrong on Melvin Gordon this year, and – if he keeps doing what he's doing now, I mean, he's probably going to be like 103 next year in drafts, which feels weird to say that you could have a case for him, Hunt. Oh, man, all five of those top running backs will be in the conversation next year. And I think he's, it's hurting me to say that, probably right there with him. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, you know, Gordon's, Gordon's on a roll, but 12% is not that good for a guy in fourth place, which points to who else he was drafted around and things of that nature. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i not sure he's winning. I, I shouldn't. I'm not sure he's necessarily winning you the leagues the same way that Kareem Hunt is, but I, I, I mean, my biggest fear with him was a pretty big touchdown regression and that he had already hit his ceiling for pass catching. And it'll be interesting to see. He's in that, he was in that range of players right before or right after the guys who have been big busts so far. But like just before the, the end of the first. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how he finishes. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so We'll just jump in uh, to wide receiver now. Um, you highlighted DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller as well. I think the interesting thing is to see if that is an interesting thing that can hold up. But I, I think the biggest player of note is Nelson Aguilar, who was a compl- pretty much considered done for going into this year. 
and he's kind of taken over that number one role on the uh, wide receiver crew for Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, he's up to 10th place, and uh, the main reason I wanted to talk to him is it points to how good Wentz is doing. Yeah, I think if he and Wentz continue their trend, they're both going to be among the uh, higher-end players. Agreed. Um, And then Will Fuller, I know, is kind of the apple of everyone's eye right now. He missed not only missed the beginning of the season, he just jumped in. He's jumped in right away and is on a pretty ridiculous touchdown pace at the moment, five touchdowns on 14 targets. It's hard to believe that's a sustainable uh, rate for the entire season, but if you own him right now, he's a guy that you probably got a little late after his injury happened and he's been your starter every week he's been available. Yeah, the only worry about Fuller, and he's one of my most owned best ball players, is that he's doing it on such so few targets. He's got five touchdowns on 14 targets, which is just ridiculous. So while I hope he keeps it up, um, and it's amazing that he's moved up the board as fast as he can, um you and I both know that the chance of someone getting five touchdowns for every 14 targets is pretty small. Oh, it's, it would, I, 10% touchdown rate is a pretty ridiculous one. His near like 40% touchdown rate is, uh, going to fall off. And, uh, so let's jump into, uh, another Eagle, uh, the best tight or one of the best tight ends in the group, Zach Ertz. Um, he is the most consistent tight end that has been available to players and is currently your leader in points. Yeah. Um, the great thing about Ertz is that, the, you know, he, and he's my number one owned best ball player overall. <laughs> I, re, I really felt good about him. He had, uh, it's what I call the rule of eight. And basically, you know, the assumption, you know, the, the great way to be successful at fantasy uh sports a lot of times is to go against assumptions when those assumptions are loose and the two, and the assumption about where Ertz was that he you know every year he does good at the end of the year but he then he sucks and and he can't score touchdowns and when you look at Zach Ertz there isn't any reason why he can't score touchdowns he just hasn't uh, but I wasn't going to count out the ability to score touchdowns. And then I looked at his last eight games, and he was super consistent last year with Wentz over the last eight games. And I remembered that I had looked at Doug Baldwin the year before, who had the last eight games just super efficient with Russell Wilson and ended up having a tremendous year. So I, I invested pretty heavily in Ertz. And it's pretty amazing that he's put to bed both the consistency and the touchdown um, part of the complaint about him so far this year. Yeah, I mean, I think you, I think you did well picking out your top uh, tight end to own. Um, and I, I top think player overall. Oh wow, uh, impressive. Uh, the one other tight end that is kind of making a little bit of waves that 
you may not have been targeting as much in the offseason just because of the way the team drafted. But Cameron Brait is uh, 13th in targets at the position, but is all the way up at fourth on your leaderboard. Um, he's another one of those guys benefiting from a pretty uh, high workload near the end zone. And I, I mean, I'm not entirely sure it's fully sustainable for the year, but if he's going to get the workload, he could have a Tyler Eifert type value where he's just going to have a lot of value when he scores touchdowns. Yeah. Um, I think absolutely Cameron Brait is a guy that got a lot of looks in the red zone last year from Jameis Winston. And so far this year, he's only behind Austin Safarian Jenkins in red zone market share among tight ends at 16%. So, um, and he's good at converting them. And as long as he gets the, uh, as long as he gets that ability, he should be okay. Um, all right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take back over and say goodbye here. I, you did a great job in interviewing me this time. Um, but our segment is about up. So that was the uh, the numbers portion of our show. Matt, as always, I thank you for doing it. And thanks for agreeing to interview me. <laughs> Anytime. All right, folks, we're going to move on to our next segment. All right, we're going to finish up with the defense tonight. And we're going to hear from Dominic. He does a great job each week selecting defenses. Um, I believe he was on New Orleans last week. My uh, my memory and attention span right now is a little out of it. Um, but uh, here comes Dom, and then we'll play out with the song. Please, once again, welcome to the show, Dominic Perillo. Dominic Petrillo. How are you today, Dom? I'm doing good tonight. How are you, Dom? It is Petrillo, right? Yes. Yeah. All right. Sorry about that. Um, I'm sorry I didn't get to get your, uh, your music, uh, ready. I, 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 it's been a tight week for me, but, uh, we'll definitely get you some music to introduce you going forward, buddy. Uh, that's no problem. All right. So, uh, who's your number one defense this week? Uh, there's not a whole lot of good defenses this week that I really like, but I do like Jacksonville going up against Indianapolis. I think, you know, obviously Andrew Luck's probably going to be out for the whole year now. Now they have Jacoby Brissett in there again. And with the pass defense that the Jaguars have, I think they can shut down Brissett and T.Y. Hilton. Moncrief hasn't done much yet this year. And, you know, Jack Doyle had a good game on Monday, but he dropped a lot of passes as well. So I think they can stop that uh, pass game, which means they only have to worry about that run game. And I don't know if Gore and Mack can get it done. So And even if they can get it done a little bit with yardage, you know, that you don't have to worry about the defenses with yardage. You just have to worry about giving up points. I don't think they're going to give up a lot of points to the Colts. Yeah, that that's a pretty good call. I think the uh, the Shaguars are, are, are pretty good. Um, who's next on your list? I kind of like the Bears, actually, a little bit. I mean, they're playing a lot better. Everybody thinks that the Panthers are going to roll in there and just you know, beat them up, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Bears are playing better than they think they, than people think they are. They're also, uh, you know, the Panthers only have 32 rushing yards combined out of the running back the last two weeks. 
So they're down to one dimensional now. And if Cam Newton plays the same way he did last Thursday against the Eagles, you know, the bears could definitely have a good, you know, good sleeper week. And they're only $2,200 on DraftKings. Yep. Yep. That's, uh, you know, that's an int- very interesting call. Uh, the next team is my favorite defense of the week. It's the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, I like the Vikings. They're just, you know, they have the best, everybody thinks they have the best secondary in the league, which, you know, they may be, they're right there with, you know, with Seattle's Legion of Doom and with uh, the mile high people out there in Denver, you know, but they're actually better against the run than they even are against the pass. They're, you know, second in the league against the run giving up points to fantasy offenses. So, you know, they're just as good there. I actually heard a stat today that all 11 of their starters have been on the team for at least three years playing together. So they have a lot of continuity and just the Bengals or excuse me, not the Bengals, the Ravens are just absolutely terrible. Joe Flacco is showing why he never, you know, why he's just a mediocre quarterback. They have no receivers this year. The running backs aren't really doing anything. Alex Collins is okay, but he fumbles too much and, you know, Javorius Allen does what he can, but with only one person there, you can't, you're not going to get much out of him. So I, I love Minnesota at home this week. They're going to be able to shut down the Ravens' so called offense. Yep. Um, the next uh, team that uh, you're on is also someone I feel pretty good about the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, I, th- I just think this is a trap game for the Giants. They're going back home, they're on a high based on what they did in. Denver on Sunday, I think they're going to be maybe not overconfident, but they're not. They're going to have a letdown. And Seattle's coming off the bye week; they've had two weeks to get prepared for this. You know, they have the Giants still have no receivers. Shepard might be back for this game, but if he's not there, they're going to have Ingram, and you know that's it. They're going to have to try and run the ball, which I don't know if they're going to be able to do because Seattle's actually been better against the run this year than in you know most past years. And I just think you know the Giants are. They're in for a shock this week, I think. Yeah, that, that might be. And we'll finish up with your sleeper defense of the week. Yeah, there's a couple of defenses, you know, I like, but I definitely do like the Chargers this week, like I said, down there. that You know, Denver, they're a decent team, but mostly only at home. On the road, you know, they didn't do much against the uh, Bills when they went on the road against the Bills. So you never know what's going to happen there. You know, Simeon doesn't play nearly as good on the road as he does at home. The Chargers have, you know, sacks in every game this year. You know, they're playing it de facto. So if you want to call it a home game, they'll have dozens and dozens of fans there. You know, it's probably going to be an orange out, but I still think that, you know, it's going to be a low-scoring game there. The Broncos did get a little bit exposed on Sunday night. I don't think they're going to play nearly as bad on defense as they did. But with Melvin Gordon doing what he's done the past couple weeks, the Chargers are going to keep the ball on the ground. They're going to keep it you know, low scoring, which means there's going to be less possession and they're going to be able to keep the, you know, even if the Broncos do get on the field, especially with Emmanuel Sanders missing, they're going to have to try and rely on Benny Fowler. They don't really have a tight end they have to worry about. And even if they did, the Chargers are number one against the tight end this year. So that all they have to do is stop Demarius Thomas. I do think CJ Anderson should have a good game, but again, I don't think that's going to go to a lot of points. I think it's going to be a lot of field goals in this game, meaning that, you know, there's a chance that you could get, a possible shutout from the Chargers defense. I don't see it likely, but there's a chance. But I do see a lot of field goals and not a lot of touchdowns, so I think you'll get some, you know, maybe some points there if you get points based on scoring. And between the sacks and the interceptions, I think you should get a couple points there as well. 
Yeah, and the one defense I meant to ask you about that I didn't earlier was the New Orleans Saints. I mean, they won people a lot of money last week. What are your thoughts on the Saints this week? I do like the Saints. They, they've been playing better the last couple of weeks. I don't think they're as good as they, – obviously they're not as good as they played last week. I mean, not even the Seahawks are as good as the Saints played last week. It's just, you know, that was a, a mirage. Or, but they are getting a lot better this year. They're getting a lot more continuity. The injuries are starting to heal. They have a lot of young players. Uh, so I do think that they're pretty good, especially going up against this young Brett Hundley, that You know, not rookie, but first, first game starting in the regular season. I think you have to see what the – run game's going to do with the Green Bay Packers, whether Montgomery's going to be back full or if it's going to be Jones or both of them. But, you know, and plus they do have three good receivers there. But I think with Humley throwing the ball, this could be a big game for Bennett because it is, you know, tight ends or rookie quarterback or first starting quarterback's best friend. But other than that, I don't think they're going to be able to move the ball much. I think they're going to be able to get it maybe down near the red zone, but I don't think they're going to, you know, be able to cap off a lot of drives. So, again, just like with the Chargers, Brockers, I think you'll see a lot of field goals from the, and I don't think it's going to be a high scoring game either. I think that, so they're not going to have to keep up with the Saints either because the Saints normally don't score a whole lot on the road. So I think you can see a game where both teams maybe get into the low twenties. So in that sense, I don't, it's not going to be a shootout. So they're not going to have to th- keep throwing the ball. So it's going to be more ball control. Um, the last uh, defense that we can discuss, even though I said that two defenses ago <laughs> is the Tennessee Titans. They get Deshaun Kaiser in an awful Cleveland offense. Um, Tennessee at 3,400, though, is fairly scary, and they're going to be one of the highest-owned defenses on the week. Yeah, they will be, and I, they are very scary because their their pass defense is still terrible. Kaiser and, you know, Hogan, no matter who they have in Cleveland, they do like to chuck the ball deep, and the secondary of the Titans does scare me, so I don't think they're a great defense. I think they are a good defense, though. But like you were saying earlier that, you know, the Vikings are your favorite defense this week, and they're pretty much my favorite as well. And you can get them for $200 cheaper than you can the Titans. I'd rather, much rather have the Vikings at 3200 or even the Saints at 3000 than have the Titans at 34 And if, you, you know, if, you can, if you're going to pay 34 for the Titans, you should be able to try and scrounge up another 300 and get Jacksonville at 3700 You know, if that's the way you're going to go, if you're trying to get a defense for over 3000 I would much rather take either Jacksonville or – like I said, Minnesota, I just think that this could be a good game for the Cleveland receivers. I think Ricardo Louis may do some good things. You know, they may actually win this game. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's, you know, they don't have many more good chances left, so they have to win sometime soon or else they may go, may actually go 0-16 this year. So every, I know everybody's on the Titans. I'm kind of fading them pretty much because everybody's on them. I'm not, you know, super big on them this week. And I just think 3400 is a little bit too high for him. Awesome. Dom, as always, great job. Thank you very much for uh, contributing. Yeah, thank you very much. All right. Uh, that was Dom, everyone, with the, uh, uh, the defenses. And uh, our short show um, is pretty much going to be over after a quick song.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.